You talking to me? Welcome back inside the screening room. We are fresh off the Oscars and one big major blockbuster in waiting to talk about and a few others as well. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from madwolf.com and we had it. We had it in our grasp. <laughs> that elusive, perfect Oscar ballot. There it was. But we knew it was wrong. Every year. Every <laughs> year we get one wrong. Every yeah. year. And for the first time ever we thought, oh, we yeah. got them all right. We and were then perfect. And you actually said that before they even announced it, you said, well, La La Land can't win now because we have gotten everything right. <laughs> and which was funny at the time to us, but I still thought it was going to win. And for a minute, it did win. And that's old news by now. But uh, Moonlight, the winner of Best Picture and one that we talked about last week in the podcast, that's the one that we would have given the award Absolutely to. Absolutely, it is. Yeah, but so. we really thought La La Land was going to win. Still a surprise to me, not only how it worked out with all that, which has now been traced back to a tweeting accountant. And doesn't it always come back to a tweeting accountant? So. It really does. But anyway, the better film did get the award, so congratulations to all the winners, to Moonlight. Hope we don't say anything like that again. <laughs> but uh, one of these days, we will get that perfect Oscar ballot. It was almost there. But we're back at it with some new movies, and we're going to start with one that, oh boy, we saw the crowds at the theater last night. We were driving by and saw some of the uh, lines at the theater. This is going to make a buck or two. And it's the latest installment of the most heartfelt X-Men, I guess you could say, especially in this installment of Wolverine, and it's called Logan. I need the girl. Fuck her up. Go get her. She's like you. Very much like you. I am not whatever it is you think I am. She needs our help. Someone will come along. Someone has come along. This is what life looks like. People who love each other. A home. You should take a moment. Feel it. You still have time. Quite a stylistic departure. You know, and it's interesting. The, um, I'm a fan of the X-Men. You're probably less so. Well, and, I, th I think they're fine. And, I, and there have been several of the films that I thought were, were really good. And, the, and then the couple, uh, you know, the X-Men Days of Future Press, I thought was fun. Those where they sort of time hop. I thought those were fun and interesting. But this, James Mangold directs, and he just strips everything bare. It's an R rating. Keep that in mind. At the screening we went to, there were more than a few small children who have no business. As you'll it's a little know, bit of the Deadpool effect there. You, yeah, you could say that because, of course, Deadpool was a very R-rated movie, but Deadpool was fun and funny. This well, I is... mean, in the beginning, a lot of a lot of parents took their kids, and they yeah. actually took out oh, an ad saying, yeah. "Don't don't do take that. your kids." Yes, um, you'll know from the opening sequence because a very drunk, very uh, limpy and belligerent Logan guts about four guys. Ooh. Those claws go directly into the skull. There's they, there's no stopping there. The bone isn't going to stop that. It's uh, it's a very violent film, but it's also, it's just stripped of all the bombast and sort of hyper drama that you find in the rest of the X Men films, mm -hmm. and certainly the color. It's a very bleak film, and at the same time, much more emotional than the other X Men that try so hard to be. Hugh Jackman is wonderful. So Logan is, and he would be, if you think about it, he'd be about two hundred years old now, 
And for whatever reason, which they don't really explain fully, his body is turning on him. He's not healing like he used to. He's kind of, as one of the other characters says, he's rotting from the inside out. So he is likely dying. And he's taking care of a 90-year-old Charles Xavier who has dementia, which is particularly damaging when you have a brain disease and your brain works the way Charles Xavier does. And so Logan is now a grizzled old limo driver who then heads back across the border with pilfered meds to take care of Charles, who he's hiding because of some episode they don't tell us about. But Charles is wanted and... Everything is really just kind of working hand to mouth until they can make enough money to buy a boat and just sail off into the middle of the sea until another X-Man comes calling. And what's interesting about this movie, what they say, and they don't over-explain anything, but uh, a mutant hasn't been born in 25 years. And then a little girl shows up with claws. You've seen the trailer. And it's interesting because I think the, the film, what it's suggesting is that Logan's biggest villain what he's been fighting his whole life is himself, which you see with this tiny little version of him, right? Who's great, by the way, just this feral little monster. Another She's great awesome. little girl in, in uh, the films. But the, they make it a bit more literal, even as the film progresses. But I mean, I think that's the heart of the story. It's a very much a redemption story, which, of course, drives very, very, very many superhero films. But I think it's the approach, the spare, the spare you know, stripped down, bleak approach and the violence that makes it more interesting but also Hugh Jackman is just wonderful and this is such a great opportunity for him to put his most iconic role to bed it has some flaws it does it gets a little uh Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome the least of the Mad Maxes uh, eventually (laughs) and um the most cheesy and the the villains are a bit bland really and in a way it's kind of a road picture and that really doesn't work but I mean they're minor flaws it's an interesting sad emotional satisfying, violent as hell X-Men movie, and and easily my favorite. Yeah, and I think you're right as far as putting it to bed because I kind of lost track of the quotes between Hugh Jackman and and Jennifer Lawrence. Who was done? When are they done with the X-Men? But right now, he has no more X-Men credits on his IMDb page. There's none in production. So this probably, it looks like, will be the end, uh, at least for the foreseeable future, of his Wolverine days. So this would be a good one to end it on. It It, would. it, It has that that way about it, and going back to such a, a human level, stripping it down, yeah, yeah. Uh, especially to where they take it, you said, with Charles and with uh, his body, quote-unquote, rotting from the inside. It, it's, it's a good way to wrap it up, especially when the film is this good. Yeah, agreed. So a big adults-only recommendation for Logan this week. And moving on to another highly anticipated movie, one that kind of was off our radar because we talk a lot about not watching any TV because we watch so many movies. We also don't read a lot of books. And this is an adaptation of a bestseller about a man's search for healing and his questionable dealings with faith in the shack. Missy! Missy! Who's scared? I'm really sorry, Mr. Phillips. I just showed up in my mailbox. With no tracks in the snow. You're not thinking about going back there, are you? I gotta do something. You know, this isn't a good idea. It's crazy, but this is all I got. Mackenzie Allen Phillips. I've been looking forward to this. Do I know you? Not very well, but we can work on that. This is incredible. He's still having a hard time believing this is real. Why did you bring me here? There's no easy answer that'll take your pain away. Where were you? 
when I needed you. I never left you. This is based on a novel that actually began as an unpublished work that a man named William P. Young, who's a Canadian hotel clerk, he wrote as a gift to his children. And then he, with, with much prodding from friends and family, he turned it into a self-published book. And then through word of mouth, it became a bestseller uh, a few years ago. And now it's turned into the movie version. And it deals with very literally uh, a man's trouble with faith after a family tragedy. The man is Mac. He's played by Sam Worthington. And we're set up. One of the many problems the film has is, is the character's are not layered at all. They're very surface deep. In the in the beginning, we meet Mac and his family, and of course, they're picture perfect. Everything is just cookie cutter. You're given a narrated voiceover at the beginning by Mac's friend, Tim McGraw, and you're introduced to characters by lines such as, she's the glue that holds the family together. All right, boom, we're telling you that, so that's that, okay? We're not going to show you anything. We're just going to tell you how to feel about things. And that's really the inherent problem with this movie because it's rarely a good idea for a film of any kind to get preachy. But this movie is actually preaching. It's a mix of parable and sermon about very nice topics, very nice themes, but you still have to construct a film and construct a narrative, which is totally different from a book. And it has some problems there. And right away you might say, well, is it, is it really fair to expect so much depth from a, mo from a story that was originally aimed at children? Well, you know what? You don't have to go back too far. Just a few months ago, we saw When a Monster Calls. Exactly. Which was, and that's just one example. That's just the most recent example I can think of. So, yes, it is fair to accept to expect some depth from a movie such as this because you can deal with these themes in ways that aren't so superficial. And uh, so, so Mac is grieving of the death, the violent death of his young daughter, and of course questioning God, and um, he gets a very strange invite in his mailbox to inviting him back to literally the scene of the crime. So he ends up there by himself where he meets God, played by Octavia Spencer, and begins this journey of healing where he asks an age-old question, if God loves us so much, why does he or she permit these evil acts and permit evil in the world at all? And the answers that it gives you are, are not profound. They're, they're awfully sweet, and they're well-meaning. And as his journey of healing goes on, it really starts to smack uncomfortably of just reassuring the white suburban male. Everything, even from the beginning of the unfortunate tragedy, is all aimed at assuring him it wasn't his fault by everyone else, including his wife, who you barely get to see be upset about the death of her daughter at all. Um, and then Mac not only meets God, he meets many other spiritual beings played by, you see, an Israeli, an Asian woman, a Latina, a, a Native American, and the list goes on, which is nice because you might have an underlying undercurrent there of there's wisdom through diversity. But then when you stop to realize that nothing else in this movie is subtle at all, you're, maybe you're giving it too much credit, especially when Mac goes back home to a church congregation full of nothing but white faces and trust me i searched i searched <laughs> the screen looking and looking and looking so it kind of becomes uncomfortable in that manner it's a story that i, I want i keep going back to the fact that it's it's very well meaning and then i remember the fact that it was it came from this un 
professional author, so not really skilled in storytelling, I guess you would say. A story that resonated with a lot of people, but when you break it down in its elements, it's the way it tells that story is not exactly a story well told. It kind of labors toward a conclusion that you can see coming, not only cliched characters, cliched plot points that we've seen done and that won't be a surprise as it gets to uh, its final message, which is one of, of course, love and healing and forgiveness, all great, great themes in any movie, in any story, in any life. But the way the shack tells them is not the way that a successful movie goes about it. And you feel like after more of these faith-based films come out, you almost feel like, oh, here they are beating up on faith-based films again, which is not always the truth. There was one uh, last year, I think, called Risen that I thought was done pretty darn well because it strayed from those expectations that uh, come with movies such as this that are just outright preaching, which there's nothing wrong with that. But when you do it in a storytelling mode, in a, in a cinematic way, then it runs into problems. Really good films rarely resort to outright preaching about any subject. And, and this one, for 132 minutes, I think it is, relies on that structure that's just problematic for anyone but the choir. It, it tells us so much. There are a few lush visuals, but other than that, shows us very little. Nothing really to discover on our own. We're told everything. And, you know, as lovely as the message can be, the shack is strangely joyless and really ends up feeling more of a chore than a calling. Also out this week is a uh, romantic comedy of sorts, Table 19. I'm Eloise. I got dumped by Francie's brother, the uh, best man back there at Table 1. Oh, no kidding. This is a great table. It's a great one. <laughs> no, it isn't. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Not it. We didn't think you'd be coming. You RSVP'd no, and then yes, on an RSVP card that you barbecued. Francie's mother calls table 19, the table that should have known to send regrets, but not before sending something nice off the registry. What? The table that could disappear in the middle of the wedding and no one would even notice. A table of people they don't care about? How are we doing back here? Let's go. What if you came here for a different reason today? What if you went away with something better? Do you ever have that kind of day where the things that come so easily to everyone else just seem so elusive <gasps> no yeah me neither anna kendrick always welcome yes she's a nice presence in any movie she is and she was supposed to be the maid of honor at her friend's wedding until her friend's brother dumps her so now she just has to be a guest and she's stuck at the table with all the other loser guests that nobody wants to sit with <laughs> at a table 19 that's exactly right this movie has uh, a lot going for it, although it's funny, it's not going to be what you expect. It is absolutely not your traditional sort of uplifting, fun rom-com. Um, what it does too much, though, is really, really overtly channels John Hughes, which gets tiresome after a while. It's very Breakfast Club and every other 80s movie, right down to the fun 80s covers being sung by the wedding band. Yeah, we talked about, in The Shack, we talked about cliched characters. Well, the same way here. Just so coincidentally, sitting at table 19, you've got perfectly comfortable cliches of certain kinds of people that might 
mesh the way we want them to for this kind of romantic comedy. And they're trying to be clever about it in the way that they do sort of, you know, discuss things like The Breakfast Club. But it, it doesn't always work. What's interesting about this movie is that is how dark the comedy is, is how sort of where it goes, places that you're not expecting it to go. And the talent you can't, you can't complain about. So not just Anna Kendrick, but... Craig Robinson, Lisa Kudrow, Stephen Merchant. Stephen Merchant. <laughs> I love Stephen Merchant, who also is in Logan in a very, very different and interesting role. Hello, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not familiar with Stephen Merchant, you would know his look. He's so tall and so pale. And he was skinny with those big glasses. I think kind he of first ginger. came to prominence as Ricky Gervais's yeah. sidekick, yeah. In, in especially that animated Ricky Gervais show. Hilarious. Yeah, yeah. He's funny. He's funny in this movie. Everybody's funny in this movie. It's just that it it's it's as if it can't decide what it's going to be. Is it a biting sort of satire on on rom coms, uh, and then does it kind of get gutless at the end, or is it? It just can't really choose a specific direction and. And the kind of mess that it is in the middle is is just not that likely to appeal to anybody. Yeah, it was co-written by the Duplass brothers, mm-hmm. Jay and Mark, which, you know, anything about them, that that's the territory they like to get into. Sure. A little misanthropic, uh, dark, and they're not going to do that cheery, romantic comedy that's going to send everybody up happy about life and about love. That's not really what they do. No, that is, that is really true. And I just feel like, and maybe it's the direction you know, it uh, it just can't seem to find the groove that it's looking for between this John Hughes '80s angsty comedy that that you know leaves a mark and and the cynicism of its story. Yeah, so you could do worse, but you could certainly do better. Yeah. with Table 19. And our next movie this week is in limited release. It's a true story based on a true story of a prince causing an international stir when he marries a white woman from London. In the late 1940s, it's a United Kingdom. The film is directed by Ama Asante, who did Bell a few years ago. Oh, yes. So another fascinating, underexposed film. Historical drama. Historical drama. Bit of a romance as well. And uh, so obviously Asante has some... Uh, some keen interests in the area of uncovering some fascinating pieces of information in history, and this is just that. Rosamond Pike plays a young London clerk who falls for a uh, a prince who is in London getting his law degree before he returns to take the throne. The prince is played by the always wonderful David Oyelowo. The two of them fall in love. They marry. It causes it wreaks havoc. It's like 1949, so it wreaks havoc not only in London. And with her family, uh, back in what is today Botswana and his family, but also the British government, because they were so connected with the South African government, did everything that they could do to separate the two. The film often reminds me of Loving, last year's Mm -hmm. absolutely beautiful Loving. And it does in many ways suffer by comparison because Loving is so restrained and so nuanced, and you just sort of sit with this couple, as you remember, of course, is a a, a, a couple, um, a, an American couple, whose marriage challenged and then defeated um, segregated marriage laws in the United States. This film uh, is a little bit too heavy-handed and, and far too superficial. Uh, he had, she has a lot of ground to cover, 
And uh, so the romance itself is told almost in shorthand. And what you focus primarily on is the machinations that we're trying to keep the couple apart. Asante has really good instincts when it comes to making that more lively, making political maneuvering more more Mm -hmm. understandable and lively. And uh, when I saw the screening, there was a lot of clapping. It's very much a crowd pleaser. Um, what it is, though, is is a film that doesn't really dig much deeper than the surface level on, on in any area. But Rosamund Pike and David Oyelowo, the love story itself, the performances are they're so charismatic and so lovely, beautiful that it really uh, elevates the film and makes it a lot more, I think, entertaining than it might otherwise be. So a United Kingdom in limited release, but a recommendation for that, a big recommendation for Logan this week. The Shack and Table 19, not so much. The leading film out on DVD and Blu-ray and streaming this week, right on cue, the Oscar winner, Moonlight. I don't think much else needs to be said. We love it. See it if you haven't. Uh, Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. But another one that's a little bit definitely under the radar, one that I would say almost no one saw but should, London Road. Yeah, this one really came out of nowhere, and I enjoyed it. It's so hard to pin down. It's based on a true story of five prostitutes found dead in their community, residents of London Road in Ipswich, Suffolk. Uh, That's an English town name if I ever heard one. (laughs) They come together to deal with the events, to process the events, and revitalize the community. And this film, it's a musical, and the lyrics to the songs are taken directly from transcripts, directly from interviews with the people involved. It's a fascinating way to go about making a film, and it's, it's a fascinating movie. It's really hard to describe. It's led by a great performance by Olivia Colman. She's always great. She's always good. We just saw her in The Lobster last right. year. She's in a bunch of movies. You would know her face. She's always good, and she leads this ensemble cast. But the more it goes on, it's such a curiosity at first what they're doing, and then the more it goes on, it just becomes even more enjoyable by how well they're exceeding expectations of actually pulling this off it's the the songs are catchy and yet they obviously based on using people's actual actual words they speak deeply to what's going on here and people's fears and how are they turning on each other and the paranoia and how how they're dealing with having a killer in their midst what i love about the lyrics though is that they are verbatim so they are they're they're not polished in any way right there's a lot of ums and 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 you know, yeah. stammering, and it's wonderful. And one of the lyrics that keeps coming up is, everyone is very, very nervous. Yeah. Because somebody said that. Yeah. And it's, it's just, I, it's a fascinating movie that almost defies description, but uh, very much recommend London Road out on DVD and streaming, Blu-ray this week. And another one that made a lot of headlines because it has big star power, but eh, not so much, and that was Allied with Brad yeah. Pitt and Marion Cotillard. It, pretty international intrigue, but flat. So next week, looking forward to one big one on the radar and one on our radar. Uh, Kong Skull Island is getting all sorts of buzz. You've seen the trailers, and you know what? I'm hopeful about it. You know, my worry, here's my worry. It, the, the trailers are all John C. Riley. There's never, that's <laughs> never a bad idea. And, Cast and, him if you can. And He's Tom Hiddleston great... posing. Right, but that's the thing, is that you've got some giant names, right? Tom Hiddleston, Brie Larson, you don't even see them in the trailers. Yeah, that's not a good sign. They don't say anything, yeah. I just, I'm hoping it could be fun. I hope so. I'm hoping it could be fun. We'll see. But one that we're really looking forward to because we love the horror films is called Raw. That's out next week.
Yeah, cannot be, cannot be more excited than I am to see that movie. It's, it's one of those that it has the legend already of people that have seen it needing medical attention, That's fainting right. in the aisles. Right. Story about cannibalism. So we shall see. Looking forward to it. All right, keep the conversation going with us. What do you think about the Oscars? What do you think about Logan? Maybe the Shack? Anything else you're looking forward to? Let us know. Easiest way is on Twitter. We are at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also, Mad Wolf Columbus. You can find our Facebook page. And all of our written reviews and other fun are at madwolf.com. And the Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and madwolf.com. And until next week, I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Mad. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner.